This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight on Escape, we're about to hear a fascinating story about a complete train that mysteriously vanishes from the face of the earth. And the bonus is the fact that the narrator of the tale is none other than Basil Rathbone, in a special appearance as Sherlock Holmes. Fed up with the everyday grind. Tired out by the dull routine. Want to get away from it all. We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are speeding through the English countryside, the fast express train rocking beneath your feet. And you know that somewhere in the dark ahead of you, a band of men are plotting the destruction of the train, are planning the moment of your death. Today we escape to England at the turn of the century and the story of a complete train that vanished from the face of the earth. As Sir Arthur Conan Doyle told it in his fascinating tale, The Lost Special. Twenty years with Scotland Yard have brought me into contact with many weird and unusual events in human affairs. But none more strange than the occurrences which began on the afternoon of June the 3rd, 1890, in the railway station at Liverpool. On no case before had I ever felt myself so helpless, groping blindly, as it were, for an unseen adversary, not being certain of the nature of the crime, not even knowing, in fact, if it were a crime. Suffice to say that along a short stretch of railway line in western England, I learned what is truly meant by terror of the unknown. At four o'clock of the afternoon in question, having completed a rather minor investigation which had brought me to Liverpool, I was sitting in the waiting room of the railway station reading and waiting for the six o'clock train for London entirely unaware at that moment of a rather ordinary conversation that was taking place in the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master, a few yards away. I'm very happy to know you, Mr. Carrasco, and you, Mr. Gomez. And now, if I might learn the nature of your wishes? Simply this, Mr. Bland. My companion and I have arrived on the steamer from Central America, which docked less than an hour ago. It is of the utmost importance that we reach London as quickly as possible in order to arrange passage across the Channel to France. I see. Well, it's unfortunate you missed the three o'clock train, Mr. Carrasco. However, there'll be a limited leaving at six. It'll put you in London. That is not soon enough, Mr. Bland. 
I can attest too highly the importance of my reaching Paris at the earliest possible moment. I can understand that. But there simply isn't any other train in Quite Paris. so. Quite so. I am informed, however, that it is possible to charter a special train upon occasion. A special? Yes, it's possible. Rather expensive, though. The cost is not important, Mr. Blyder. How soon can the arrangements be made? Well, uh, uh, Mr. Hood, do we have an engine available? Yes, sir. Number 247 is on the north siding under emergency steam. Good. Very well, Mr. Carrisel. It's 4.08 now. We can roll a special out of here at 4.30. The charge is 55 pounds. Gomez, you will pay Mr. Bland 55 pounds. Uh, who is on the standby crew, Mr. Hood? Let's see. Uh, John Slater is engineer. McPherson guard. Smith Farman. Call them at once. Have them carry two standard coaches behind the engine. And telegraph the station master at St. Helens to hold the local on siding there until the special goes through. Make sure the line is clear as far as Manchester. Yes, sir. I'll send for a porter to take care of your briefcase, Mr. Carrisel. Seems to be rather heavy. Thank you, no. I prefer to keep it with me, if you don't mind. Certainly, whatever you wish. Now, if you leave here at 4.30, you should be in Manchester at quarter to six. The station master there will clear you on to London. And I trust you have a very pleasant journey. As I say, I was not aware of these events until a while later. I would have placed no significance on them in any case. At 4.31, the special train with its two passengers and three crew members pulled out of Liverpool Station and headed to Manchester. And at ten minutes to six, I was summoned to the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master. And so, that seems to be it. Very likely, I have no real reason at all to be worried, in fact, Colin. But since I saw you below there in the station, I thought it wise to call you in on it. Well, I'm happy to be of any help, Mr. Bland. Uh... Yes, as I understand it, your special train is running behind schedule, isn't it? Incredibly behind schedule. Uh-huh. Nearly half an hour overdue at Manchester right now. We've wired them to check and report back. Well, it isn't exactly unheard of for a train to run slow, Mr. Bland. It is, unless there's some reason, and I can't think of one in this case. The special had clear track all the way. It passed through St. Helens at 4.52, right on time. Uh-huh. They wired us, and then 15 minutes later released the locals to follow along behind it into Manchester. Uh, you mentioned something about Mr. Carrisel having a companion, I believe. Yes, a great hulking brute named Gomez. He didn't utter a word while they were here. Seemed to be a sort of bodyguard. Carrisel himself was small and stooped with a swarthy complexion, possibly a Latin American. Uh, and you got the impression that he was carrying something rather valuable in his briefcase. Hmm? Yes, he wouldn't let it out of his hand. And he seemed to be in great fear of something, though I haven't any idea what it may have been. Uh, what about this second chap, Horace Moore? Uh, English, about 40 years old, seemed very anxious to reach his sick wife in London. Oh. Here's Manchester on the wire now, Mr. Bland. Oh, well, good. What do they, uh... Well, it's the moment. Uh, well, here's a message. Assume change in your original plan. Vocal from St. Helens arrived, Manchester... Reports no sign special train. Oh, but that's impossible. St. Helens reported the special through ahead of the local. Where's there a branch line between St. Helens and Manchester, Mr. Bland? No, not even a double track. There's only a single track main line straight through. Sidings, of course, at the local stations for loading purposes. But, uh, Mr. Hood... Yes, sir? Check every local operator from St. Helens' arm. We've got to get to the bottom of this. I can't understand it, Inspector Collins. A locomotive in two coaches can't simply... Well, it's utterly impossible. It it can't have just disappeared. In a few moments, the answers began coming in over the wire. 
The first was from St. Helens. Repeating our previous message, a special train passed here at 452, local departed 15 minutes later. Then from Collins Green. Special passed here at 5 o'clock, followed by local train 17 minutes later. And then Earth Time. Special passed here at 506, followed by local 18 minutes later. Newton. Special passed here at 512, local train 17 minutes later. At Kenyon Junction. Special through here at 520, local passed 19 minutes later. And then Parton Marks. Local through 5.53. No special train passed here today. I tell you, it's absolutely unprecedented, Inspector Collins. An entire train and five human beings vanishing from an open track between two local stations only eight miles apart. It's impossible. Uh, the only thing to the contrary being the fact that it has apparently happened. But I can't understand it. Mr. Bland, I think you'd better make arrangements to get us out to Kenyon Junction as quickly as possible. Within ten minutes, we were in a coach behind a goods engine moving at full throttle on the main line east out of Liverpool. Since the missing special had been reported safely through Kenyon Junction... There was no need for concern with the country this side of that station. While the coach rattled and banged along the miles, we spent the time poring over a large-scale map of that eight-mile stretch between the junction and Barton Marks. As you can see for yourself on the map, Inspector Collins, it's rather open country through there. Yes. Low rolling hills, mostly, with quite a lot of coal mining and one steel mill. Uh-huh. No towns or villages near the railway line. Yes, so I see, Mr. Blanders. What about these spur tracks that join the main line? There must be a dozen or more of them. Fourteen, to be exact. Uh, isn't it possible a special could have been switched onto one of those spurs? Well, yes and no. Eight of them can be eliminated immediately. Besides being narrow-gauge tracks, they're also much too flimsy to bear the weight of a standard locomotive. Furthermore, they end at loading bins adjacent to the main line. They're, they're not actually connected to it. I see. Well, that still leaves six. Are they all standard gauge? Yes, but three of those six can be eliminated, too, since they've been abandoned for years. The mines they were built for are no longer operating. The Red Gauntlet, Despond, and Hartsey's collieries. Yes, but abandoned or not, if the tracks are still there, couldn't they be used? No, to... no, they could not. When service to the three mines was discontinued years ago, the switches along the several hundred yards of track adjacent to the main line were removed to prevent accidents. And that's settled that. But we still have three lines left. Yes, and all in operation. They serve the Big Ben and Perseverance collieries and the Carnstock Ironworks. Good. That there is the probable area of our investigation. Probable? Inspector, I fail to see anything probable about a train scheduled from Manchester turning up in a dead-end hiding. Well, for many years now, Mr. Bland, I've been approaching problems of this sort with a certain theory of logic. Once both the obvious and the impossible are eliminated, and we seem to agree on those, then the solution must lie in the realm of the improbable, no matter how fantastic it may have first seen. I can't believe it. Why wouldn't the train crew report here? What about Mr. Carroll's anxiety to get to London? Why wouldn't he... Wait, have... wait. We're slowing down, aren't we? That's right, sir. We're pulling into Kenyon Junction. Mm-hmm. This is the last station to report seeing the last special. Very well, gentlemen. This is where we start to work. We stopped in the junction only long enough to rig acetylene spot lanterns at either side of the coach directed in such fashion as to light up the roadbed and embankment along both sides of the track. And then we puffed slowly out onto the main line and headed towards Barton Moth, eight miles away. The first mile of those eight dropped behind us and brought no significant discovery. And we moved on through the second mile, 
Save for the flood of light from our lanterns and the dull red glow from the firebox of the engine, the night was as black as pitch. Now and again, the ugly shape of a loading bin for one of the narrow-gauge feeder lines would loom out of the darkness ahead of us and float past, ghostly for a moment in our light, and then dissolve away behind us into the blackness. But on the roadbed, the rails themselves remained unmarred, undisturbed, and offered not the slightest clue to explain a disappearance that grew more mysterious by the minute. We completed the second mile and moved on, and then suddenly... What is it, Inspector? What do you see? Uh, stop the engine at once, Mr. Hood. Yes, sir. What is it, Inspector? I think I've seen something. I don't see a thing. Oh, just Inspector. off the embankment there, in the edge of the bushes. Uh, we'll need a hand light. Uh, here you are, sir. Good. All right, come on now. Let's have a look. By heaven, there, there is something right enough. I, I see now. Well, it looks like a man lying there. Oh, it's more likely the body of a man from the position he's in. Well, now, lad. Oh, and let's turn you over and have a glimpse at your face, huh? What? Inspector. Uh, this is John Slater. Huh? And who is John Slater? He was the engineer on the special. Oh. Well, he's dead. Neck broken. Dead? I'll venture a quick guess it was caused by a fall from the cab of his engine. Traveling rather fast at the time, I'd say. You can see where he rolled through the bushes for some little distance there. Yeah, but, but then, uh, what happened to the locomotive, Inspector? Uh, afterward, I mean. Uh, that still remains to be seen, Mr. Hood. I can be fairly certain of one thing, though. A special must have come at least this far out of the junction. Otherwise, it's pretty difficult to account for the engineer's body being here. No more difficult, surely, than it is to account for any of this. This whole thing is incredible. Impossible. Well, we still have our improbabilities, Mr. Bland. Those three connected spur lines are ahead of us yet. And the chances are, one of them is going to supply some kind of an answer. By midnight, I'd completed a thorough check of the three lines. The first one, with the Big Ben colliery, ran a mile and a half back into the hills and ended against the face of a huge pile of coal. Not large enough, however, to cover a locomotive and two coaches. I made certain of that. The line to the Perseverance colliery was hardly more than a half mile long. They'd been blocked all day, and it was still blocked by a string of loaded ore cars, and ended beyond them against the open rock face of a quarry. The last line, running to the Comstock Ironworks, was a double track, and had been left open all day. However, a sleepy superintendent informed me that over 200 repairmen had been busy on the roadbed until well after dusk, and it was impossible to imagine a non-scheduled train passing through such a horde of witnesses unnoticed. Oh, shortly after midnight, dog-tired, we walked into Barton Moss Station still without the slightest explanation of the mystery. Uh, I want to send a wire through at Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm prepared to postpone further investigation. Investigation? Until daylight. Yes, sir. No, sign it, Collins. Can you get that up right away? Right away, sir. Peaceful English countryside in a dead engine driver. You're speaking to me, sir? Hmm? Yeah, no, no. It is strange, though. Strange, sir? In broad daylight, a 40-ton locomotive with two carriages and four passengers has vanished from the face of the earth. In just a moment, we will return to escape. But first, 
Ten great shows come to you every Sunday night on CBS, and right and bright in the middle is America's number one comedy, The Jack Benny Show. Tomorrow night, Jack will take his place on CBS All-Star Night with a cast that's made The Jack Benny Show a welcome visitor in millions of American homes. Yes, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Helen Hayes, Eve Arden, and all the other great stars come to you over most of these same stations in CBS's ten great shows on Sunday night. Now, with our star, Ben Wright, we return to the second act of Escape and The Lost Special. By the next morning, of course, the story was out and the daily papers went to work on it. But fortunately for Scotland Yard, the main attention of the press was directed at the moment toward the international scandal, which had been brewing for a week or two among high financial circles in France. As it was, however, letters to the editor in the morning post gave us quite a rough go of it. Oh, with all manner of crack It seems suggest. difficult to believe that the worthy operators of Scotland Yard have overlooked the one obvious explanation as to the whereabouts of the missing train. May I advise them that some two miles from Barton Moss, the railroad line crosses the West Branch Canal. Unquestionably, the special leapt from the bridge and lies now in the muddy water. This whole affair is obviously the work of some subversive organization. And until the culprits are brought in to face their just deserts, no man, woman, or child in England can be considered safe. Now, surely we are witnessing the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. The forces of evil grow bolder and begin now to invade the earth openly. There is no doubt. But what that strange man Caratol was really the devil in disguise. And it is Our first time. action this morning is to gaze quickly across the city toward Westminster Abbey. Considering the recently demonstrated inefficiency of Scotland Yard and the Manchester-Liverpool railway affair, it's quite possible the Abbey may be spirited away some night soon. A week passed, and then two weeks. We scoured the whole western countryside, following up every lead, tracking down each rumor... And we got nowhere. Three weeks, four, and then the press began to ignore the matter. Two months went by. Nothing new. Three months. And the activity of Scotland Yard in the matter had come to a standstill. The reason was simple enough. We had no idea what else to do. So the records were finally taken from the active file and marked, Case still open and unsolved. Even though I worked on other assignments, my mind kept turning continually back to the case of the lost special. I tried to think of some avenue left untried, some path overlooked, and I could think of nothing. I reviewed all of the improbabilities I'd tested and disproved, and I tried to... Improbabilities. Suddenly, a fallacy in my own logic began to dawn on me. Arbitrarily, I had called certain explanations impossible and touched them only lightly in my investigation. And yet, what could really be classed as impossible in a case which itself was utterly impossible? Back down to Barton Moss again. And then ten days of painstaking work. At the end of those ten days, I was certain that I'd found at least the essentials of the answer. And I was equally certain that I could never prove it. I could see only one bare chance, a desperate chance against long odds. I laid my plan before the chief inspector, and then Scotland Yard went into action. 
time, 21st November 1890. Rumours are circulating that a man named Dalton, arriving in Liverpool on the steamer of Vistula tomorrow, may hold the key to the long-standing Manchester Railway mystery. According to reliable sources, Mr. Dalton possesses recently discovered copies of the documents which were carried in the briefcase of the ill-fated Mr. Carradol. It is further stated that Scotland Yard is arranging to meet Mr. Dalton at the Liverpool Pier and rush him forthwith to London. The next afternoon, accompanied by Mr. Dalton, I walked into the office of Mr. James Bland, station master at Liverpool, and chartered a special train for London. We shall have the train ready for you to leave in ten minutes, Inspector Collins. Uh, good. I'm most anxious to get Mr. Dalton and his briefcase to London as quickly as possible. Yes, I saw the squib in yesterday's paper, and I was afraid then you'd be wanting a special train arranged. I'm still worried about it, as a matter of fact. Oh, I hardly think there's any need to be. You've run a good many specials up to Manchester since that affair six months ago, and you've uh, never lost another one, now, have you? No, but I'll confess I've shaken in my boots every time I've watched one of them pull out of here. I say now... You're going to have me jumping at my own shadow. Oh, don't worry, Mr. Dalton. I'll have you in London before you know it. And done the worst for the trip. Nevertheless, Inspector, you have to admit the situation today is very much like the one six months ago. Oh, yes, in some ways. The mysterious stranger arriving by steamer from South America and in urgent haste to reach London. The carefully washed briefcase, which, according to rumor, contains the very same sort of material Mr. Carroll was carrying. But there is one difference. Mr. Dalton is being accompanied by an agent from Scotland Yard. Yes, but Mr. Carradoo also had a guard, that chap Gomez, and both of them disappeared. Oh, come now. Surely you don't think that anything so fantastic could possibly... Oh, no, he's right, Mr. Dalton. It did happen once, and a number of the elements are similar. Well, Mr. Bland, I'll, I'll wire you as soon as we reach Manchester. Hardly necessary, Inspector. I, uh, I think I shall go along with you. What good? But if you're looking forward to excitement, I can't promise it. No, it will probably be a very ordinary trip. But if I stayed here, I'd be a nervous wreck by the time you reached Manchester. Well, then come along by all means. Mr. Dalton and I will enjoy your company. Your train has just pulled up the platform, gentlemen. Good. Well, gentlemen, we, uh, we can't keep the fates waiting, huh? Let's get aboard. Well... Certainly been an uneventful journey so far. Why well, hardly expected anything to happen this side of Kenyon Junction. And it's right ahead of us, then. Inspector Collins, do you mean you are expecting something to happen on the other side of it? Oh, yes. Yes, that's the whole purpose of the trip. I don't believe I follow you. Yes, I, I imagine it is about time that you were brought in on this, Mr. Bland. I, I didn't want to take any chances by discussing it before we were well along towards the um, danger area. We're passing through Kenyon Junction, Inspector. Good. Uh, oh, uh, Mr. Dalton there is a Scotland Yard agent, by the way, Mr. Bland. Oh? And all he's carrying in that mysterious briefcase is a uh, half dozen ham sandwiches. I, uh, I think I should welcome some sort of explanation, Inspector Collins. Yes, uh, do you ever hear of the old trick an archer uses when he loses an arrow? He shoots another in the same general direction, follows it, and sometimes he finds both of them. Well... This train and all of us aboard it constitutes the second arrow, Mr. Bland. Do you mean you're expecting this train to vanish like the other? Why, you're deliberately risking our lives. Oh, the risk is not quite so great as you may imagine. But what makes you believe the attempt will be repeated? I've created as nearly as possible the same set of conditions that led to the first disappearance. If I'm right about the motivation, the party's concerned can hardly afford not to repeat. What motivation? I fail to see one. Well, it requires a bit of assuming, Mr. Bland, but the assumptions seem to fit the facts as well as the method used. Mm -hmm. uh, let's take some of those facts. 
Mr. Caratore was in a frantic hurry to reach Paris. His briefcase apparently contained something of great value. He was afraid an attempt would be made to prevent his reaching Paris. Yes. In Paris at that time, a huge financial scandal was brewing, which later came to nothing because of lack of evidence. The scandal involved illegal land operations in Central America. And Mr. Caratore had just arrived from Central America with his briefcase. Even so, yeah, And finally, it must require a good deal of money to bring about the disappearance of a locomotive and coaches, whereas ordinary criminals rarely have a good deal of money. Now, do you follow me? Yes. Yes, of course. If all that's true, then the idea was to eliminate Carroll completely, along with his evidence. And that's exactly what was done. Inspector, we just passed the spot where John Slater's body was found. Well, then heads up, Mr. Dalton. It's only a few hundred yards now. Tell me this, Inspector. Have you also discovered how the thing was done? Oh, yes. But I'm in the unfortunate position of not being able to prove it. And what do you think is going to prove if the same thing happens to us? Oh, that. Well, I forgot to mention that there are 20 agents of Scotland Yard concealed in the coach behind us. They're specially selected, armed with rifles, and are there for the express purpose of making sure the same thing does not happen to us. Slowing down, Inspector Collins. Well, I think this is it. Slowing down? Why? We're leaving the main line. But we can't leave the main line. There's no siding here. Oh, yes, there is. There's the spur track to the Hartbees Colliery. But it's abandoned. There's no connection to the main line. The rails were taken away years ago. Ordinarily, you would be right, Mr. Bland, but at the moment, there's an excellent switch installed at the main line, and also a very serviceable set of rails connecting it with the old track. We're traveling over them now, as a matter of fact. Have you seen anything, Mr. Dalton? Not yet, sir. The train is being manned, incidentally, by Scotland Yard agents. I took the liberty of holding the regular crew in the coach behind us until we could find out which of them has been bought off, which is scheduled to end up like John Slater. Look, men are coming out of the bushes behind us. They're already starting to pull up the rail. You'll see, Mr. Bland. In 15 minutes, you'll be right again. There'll be no connection between the hard seas siding and the main line. Yes. Yes, I see now. By heaven, I never Mr. would have... Mr. Bland, it won't do any good to try to signal with that pocket handkerchief. I'm, uh... <laughs> I'm afraid I don't quite understand you, Inspector. Then perhaps you'll understand the fact that you're under arrest for the murder of Caratol, Gomez, and John Slater. Why that utterly ridiculous? Why I... Why are we stopped? In order to permit it... There's your answer. I think that 20 agents of Scotland Yard should prove more than a match for your assistance. Your guesses are nothing less than preposterous, Inspector. What could I or anyone else gain by merely switching a train onto an abandoned siding? The other special, if you recall, disappeared. Ah, yes. Yes, so it did. And straight ahead of us, a mile and a half, if you recall, Mr. Bland, this spur ends at the Hartsey's Mine Shaft, one of the largest inclined shafts in this part of the country. According to the records, it used to be 900 feet deep. But upon investigating it last week, I found it closed off by a tremendous cave-in at 400 feet. Now, tell me, Mr. Bland, was the cave-in caused by the explosion of the locomotive's boiler when it struck the bottom? Or did you dynamite the shaft after the train went into it? You've no proof of any of this and no evidence whatsoever against me. Your train crew in the coach behind us have all signed statements. And I think we'll get a good deal more evidence from the men who are being rounded up out there now. I... I have nothing further to say. Oh, there's nothing you can say, Mr. Bland. We've seen your bank account with those mysterious and heavy entries which are dated about the time the special disappeared, which I'm sure we shall be able to trace to certain French sources. We've succeeded in tracing down McPherson and Smith, a fireman and conductor you bribed to vanish. 
Too bad you couldn't bribe Slater, the engineer, because his death was most unfortunate. You see, his body furnished us with our first clue. Yes, Mr. Bland. Without Slater's body, we might really have thought that the lost special had disappeared into thin air. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented The Lost Special by Conan Doyle. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Inspector Collins was Ben Wright. And the featured players were Parley Bear, John Daner, Edgar Berrier, Larry Dobkin, and Paul Fries. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You're aboard the Orient Express. Rushing through the European night bound for Constantinople. And in your compartment with you, a gun pointed at your head. A small, mysterious foreigner is about to take your life. Next week, we escape with Graham Greene's exciting novel of intrigue, Orient Express. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when CBS again offers you Escape! Seek it out with two top CBS shows tonight. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters. Both regular Saturday features on most of the same CBS network stations. Be sure to hear them tonight. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by the Let's Pretend program over most of these same CBS stations. <laughs> Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for George Burns and Gracie Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Burns and Allen. Tonight there's legal trouble in the offing for George. Elsie is suing him. That's trouble enough. But on his way to the courthouse, George runs into a car, a car owned by the judge. So it's back to 1940 we go for the episode George is on trial. From Hollywood, the George Burns and Gracie Allen Show for Hormel and Spam. Crazy people. Spam, reeb up, boom, spam. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Or the show where there's orchestra For singing glee with a smoothie street Last but not least in With Bud Heaston again with George Burns and Gracie Allen bringing a big load of fun. 
Jordan Gracie about to leave for the courthouse where Elsie Trellefast, the girl whom George promised to put on the radio, is suing him for $200,000 for breach of contract. And here they are, George and Gracie. Gracie, before we leave for the courthouse, it's very important that you get this right. Now, I'll try again for the 50th time. Now, you're on the witness stand and I'll pretend I'm the attorney. Now, you're going to be my character witness. What's that? What's that? Yeah. A character witness is someone who would say you're nice, you're sweet, you're charming, adorable. George. What? I was out with a character witness last night. <laughs> I better re- I better reword this whole thing. Look, Gracie, if I were your character witness, I'd say you were kind, considerate, in fact, a lovely girl. Oh, now I get it. Good. Now we'll try again. Miss Allen, what do you think of George Burns? He's kind, considerate, in fact, a lovely girl. <laughs> Gracie, I'm not a lovely girl. Have you tried washing your undies in luck? <laughs> Gracie, for instance, if someone got up and said Mr. Burns is a straightforward, sincere, hard-working, industrious man, a credit to his community, what would that be? A paid political announcement. <laughs> Bud, will you show Gracie what you're going to say when you're called as my character witness? Uh, certainly, George. I'll say George Burns is good... Fine and wholesome, just like Spam. He's loved by young and old, just like Spam. People enjoy him at picnics and parties, just like Spam. As a matter of fact, they are alike in all respects but one. Spam doesn't need refrigeration. (laughs) Thanks, Bud, but uh, that's a nice TL for me, but I don't need refrigeration either. No? Then why does everybody say that you're going to be in the cooler? Gracie, it's very important that you know what a character witness is. It's someone who knows me personally and gets up and tells the jury what they know about me. Uh, Senor Burns, I shall be most happy to be a character witness for my friend who I've known for a long distance. <laughs> well, thanks, Senor Lee. Now, what would you say about me? That's very nice, Senor Lee. But uh, why don't you say what you know about me in English? You want to lose the case? <laughs> well, I can see Elsie Trellefast spending my $200,000 right now. George, your car's waiting downstairs. We'd better start for court. Well, thanks, Artie. Oh, uh, by the way, Artie, will you tell Gracie what you're going to say when you're on the stand as my character witness? Oh, sure. I know George Burns, and I've been with him for a long time. We've never had a contract. His word is his bond. And I might add that I only wish that I were half the man that he is. See, Gracie? Boy, the things I have to say to hold this job. That's nice gratitude. Why, Artie, when I first met you, you were a spendthrift, and I changed you. You thought of nothing but running around and having a good time, and I changed you. What were you when I first picked you up? Huh, a baby. And he changed you. <laughs> oh, quiet. What do you think, this is a joke? I don't know, it got a laugh. <laughs> I wonder if Elsie Trallifass is having this kind of trouble. George, I'm surprised that lawyer isn't here yet. By the way, Gracie, are you sure that lawyer you hired for me is all right? Well, he handled my uncle's divorce case and settled the whole thing in one day. How did your uncle make out? Well, he got the custody of his wife's parents. (laughs) Gracie, I've got a TL for you. I'm not going to use that lawyer. I'm going to defend my own case. Everything happens to me. Mr. Burns. What is it, Mr. Sound? Nothing happens to you. 
a famous psychologist once took two newborn babies, of which I was one, brought me up scientifically and allowed the other baby to follow his natural inclinations without any restraining influences. While I was learning Greek, ornithology, higher mathematics, and diction, the other boy played marbles, cops, and robbers, and spoke through the side of his mouth. That was many years ago. We're both men now. His name is James Cagney, making $10,000 a week, and this is what I do for a living. <laughs> Don't be so envious, sound man. After all, what James Cagney got? All day long, he sits in the stuffy studio under those hot, hot lights, kissing Ann Shirt. Should happen to me. How can I be so witty with a lawsuit staring me in the face? You know, that's cute about James Cagney, but I know another success story. It's about a girl who was very poor. Then one day, out of clear blue sky, her whole life changed, and now she's going to have all the money she needs to buy all the nice things that she dreamed about. Oh, that's a wonderful story, Gracie. Who's the girl? Her name is Elsie Trollifaz. Elsie Trollifaz? Come on. Everybody, let's get into the car. We'll never get to the court. Smoothies, take it. You ask me why I'm always teasing you. You hate to have me call you pretty baby. I really thought that I was pleasing you. Or you're just a baby to me. Your cunning little dimples and your baby's bear. Your baby talking, baby walking, curly hair. Your baby's smile makes life worthwhile. You're just as sweet as you can be. Everybody loves a baby, that's why I'm in love with you. Pretty baby, pretty baby. And I like to be your sister, brother, dad, and mother too. Pretty baby, pretty baby. Won't you come and let me rock you in my cradle of love? And we'll cuddle all the time. Oh, 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 I love the baby, and it might as well be you. Pretty baby of mine, I must love a pretty baby, and it might as well be you. Pretty baby, pretty baby. Pretty baby, pretty baby. Won't you come and let me rock you in my cradle of love, and we'll cuddle all the time. Oh, what a loving baby, and it might as well be you. Beautiful baby of mine, oh my, everybody loves a baby, that's why I'm in love with you. Pretty baby of mine, and I'd like to be your sister, daddy, mother too. Pretty baby, pretty baby, won't you come and let me rock you in my cradle of love, and we'll cuddle all the time. Oh, 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 love it. Well, I could be your loving baby. Well, could you love a sort of maybe? Oh, I've got plenty of love in me, baby. Oh, that pretty little baby of Say, we'll reach the courthouse in two minutes. Is everything clear in your mind? Yeah, except one thing. What's that? What's the character with me? Gracie, look. If you were on trial and I'd get up in court and say that you're intelligent, considerate, and a conscientious girl, a person who has a keen sense of responsibility, whose brilliance is matched only by her beauty, why would I say that? Well, because you're under oath and you've got to tell the truth. 
I don't know. I think I'm going out of my mind. Hey, hey, look out for that car, George. What car? That one. Gee, George, that was your fault. The man's getting out of his car. I know, but leave it to me, Artie. I'll just start hollering and scare him to death. Mm. Hey, mister. He looks half your size. Hey, Duke. He's standing up now. Look, he's twice your size. Now, listen, chum. Now, listen here, you. You drivers like you shouldn't be allowed on the street driving through a safety zone. Don't you know the traffic rules? Do you know what the single white line is for? Yeah, that's for crooks to follow. What's the double white line for? That's for pleasure cars to follow. What are the zigzag lines for? That's what the Los Angeles drivers follow. <laughs> Evidently, you don't know how to drive a car. My dear senor, you don't know how to drive a car? No. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> you mean ridiculous. <laughs> Come on, I'm in a hurry. Out of my way. Everybody, I'm going to step on it. Hey, George, when you started the car, you bumped into him. Yeah, and he's got your license number. He has? Yeah, on the seat of his pants. On the seat of his pants. Oh, I can't understand it. My case was supposed to have started a half an hour ago, and the judge isn't here yet. Hey, bailiff. What happened to the judge? He's back there ranting and raving. I've never seen him so mad. How do you like that? I'm being sued for $200,000 and he's mad. What happened? Well, on his way to the courthouse, some crazy driver ran into him. <laughs> this is a fine thing. Some dopey driver running into Oh. George fainted. Well, what's the matter with him? Well, he's suffering from a rundown condition. He's run down? No, the judge was. Oh. Oh. What happened? Now I remember. My case. The accident. The judge. Say, Bailiff, don't tell me he's the judge who's sitting today. Yes, he's on the bench. He may be on the bench, but I'll bet he's not sitting. <laughs> yeah, he's probably saw about something, if <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I think I know what you mean. Look, I can't appear before this judge. As soon as he sees me, I'm a dead duck. Well, George, why don't you just comb your hair in front of your eyes, then he won't recognize you. Uh, Senor Burns, nothing would help you with that thick head of hair. Leave my hair out of it. All right. Nothing will help you with that thick head. <laughs> Here's an idea. Why don't you comb your eyebrows down over your face? Comb my eyebrows down over my face? That's silly. Who the judge think I am? John L. Lewis. John L. Lewis? Oh, a Labor Day joke. I see what's happening. I wonder why I get I wonder if things like this happen to other people.
wonder what's keeping the judge. I hear he was in an automobile accident. Marie, which one is George Byrne? I don't know. Uh, pardon me, but if you'll allow a sound man. You see that handsome fellow next to the old man? Yeah. Well, the old man is George Byrne. <laughs> Gracie, the judge will be here any minute. Now, do you know what a character witness is? No. No? A character witness is a party that says nice things about another party. Oh, let me see. Can't be the Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> Look, Gracie, let's... Pardon me, are you Gracie Allen on the radio? Mm-hmm. I'm Gracie Allen here, too. Well, that charming young man who always talks about Spam, is he here in court, too? Pardon me, I couldn't help overhearing your conversation, madam, and uh, thank you very much. You know, tomorrow, millions of American youngsters go back to school. Oh, aren't you going to talk about Spam? Give them time, madam. Well, when school opens, times will be busy, so we want to give you this suggestion about school lunches. Spam? Right, Spam. Whether you pack a lunch or the children run home at noon, you'll make a hit with Spam, S-P-A-M. Youngsters love this delicious meat, the grand flavor, the satisfying taste. Spam keeps without refrigeration, is all ready to eat as soon as you open the can, and is easy to use in dozens of time-saving ways. Put plain Spamwiches in the school lunch box or serve sliced Spam with hot stewed tomatoes, bread, butter, and milk, a swell school lunch at home. Isn't he wonderful? Yes, he's a little dreamboat. <laughs> oh, and here's one more very important thing. Besides taste, you want quality. So you may know exactly what you're getting. Hormel is proud to put on the label of the Spam can this sentence. Pork shoulder meat with ham meat added. That's your guarantee of goodness and quality. For Spam is a perfect blend of these two choice cuts. So solve your school lunch problems with food that's nourishing, tasty, satisfying, and good. Ask your food dealer for Spam, S-P-A-M, when you shop tomorrow. Try the easy recipes on the label and discover how this delicious meat solves mealtime problems in a hurry. I think this young man is the best announcer on the radio. And furthermore, I think you should give him a raise. I'll consider it, madam. Goodbye, Mr. Burns. Goodbye, madam. Goodbye, bud. Goodbye, mother. Slice it, dice it, fry it, bake it, cold or hot, scram hits the spot. Everybody rise. <coughs> Court now in session. His Honor Judge Hammond presiding. First case in the docket, breach of contract suit. Elsie Tranifast versus Judge Nathaniel Borden, alias Poopsie. <laughs> Are both sides ready? Plaintiff is ready. I represent Elsie Tranifast, Your Honor. George, you better cover up your face. If the judge finds out who you are, you'll lose the case. If he covers up his face, it'll be even worse. What do you mean? He'll get him for concealing a deadly weapon. <laughs> I know what I'll do. I'll just hold my head down. Come, 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 come. Now you're wasting the court's time. Uh, will the defense speak up? Well, Your Honor, I'm George Burns, and I'm defending my own case. Young man, when you speak to me, stand up straight and look at look straight at me. Well, Your Honor, I'm down here tying my shoelace. Oh, never do that, young man. This morning I bent down to tie a shoelace, and the car hit me right in the safety zone. <laughs> well, that's that's life, I guess. <laughs> Why, the fellow who was driving that car must have been blind. Blind? He hit you, didn't he? <laughs> quiet, Gracie. Well, George, I'm not going to let anybody say you're blind and get away with it. Gracie. I think he's got you're a lot of the whole thing. Aha! But... Turn around, young man. So you're the fellow who hit me in the safety zone. Hmm, that's George. Cold or hot, he hits the spot. <laughs> Gracie, please. 
You see, it wasn't my car, Your Honor. It was a car that resembled my car. Oh, maybe the judge was struck by the resemblance. <laughs> you see, Your Honor, what... Silence. Miss Calabas, so this is the man you're suing. That's right, Your Honor. <laughs> well, well, let's get on with the case. And uh, you're suing him for $300,000. No, Your Honor, $200,000. Such a small sum. <laughs> Your Honor, you're not going to let a little thing like being hit in the safety zone affect my case. Mr. Burns, this is a court of law. What transpires between myself and yourself will absolutely have no bearing on the case whatsoever. I assure you, you will have a fair, unbiased, impartial trial. (laughs) (laughs) Senor Judge, you cannot do that to Senor Burns. A finer man shouldn't leave. Stop helping me, Senor Lee. Take it easy, Senor Burns. You'll strain your tinsels. Tinsels? You mean tonsils. Tinsel is something that's covered with guilt. You're innocent? Gracie, I can see I haven't got a leg to stand on. Just leave it to me. Look, Gracie, will you stay on? Now, I want to testify for George Burns. Are you prepared to say that George Burns is innocent? Yes. I never told a lie in my life, and all I want is a chance. Gracie, will you come back here and... Silence! Let's get on with this trial. The case for Elsie uh, Talapas versus George Poopsie Burns. Will the jury stand up and call out their names? Joan Talapas! Tom Talapas! Al Talapas! Jimmy Talapas! Adam Talapas! Junior Talapas! Arthur Talapas! And Clarence Talapas! <laughs> well, that's... That's only 11. You there in the corner. What's your name? Willie Burns. <laughs> Poopsie, you're trying to fix the jury, eh? Now, listen, Judge, I don't even... Silence, silence. Quiet or I'll have you fined $100 for contempt of court. $100? That doesn't begin to show your contempt for this court, does it, George? I see. Will you stop? Mr. Burns, is it true that you took Elsie Talavest to the beach and played piggyback with her? Well, nobody. put her on the radio? Uh, You did? Next witness. What's your honor right now? Silence! What a trial. Programs, programs, get your programs. Can't tell the judge from the criminal without a program. I object. Who are you? Hardy Shaw. What are you objecting to? I haven't had a line for ten minutes. <laughs> Your Honor, I'll prove my innocence. Gracie, will you take the stand? All right. No. <clears throat> What's your name? Gracie L. Allen. What's the L for? Oh, please, George, watch your language. <laughs> Where were you born? San Francisco. Before the fire? On the back of the piano. <laughs> Listen, Gracie. You know what my father said when I was born? I object. You guessed it. <laughs> now, will you tell the court, Miss Allen? Have I ever promised Elsie Tralafaz to make her my partner and put her on the radio? I don't remember. You don't remember what? I don't remember what you told me to say. <laughs> but did I ever promise to put Elsie Trellifass on the radio? I don't know. Artie, did I promise to put Elsie Trellifass on the radio? I don't know. Canada Drive pays out $10 in the set of the encyclopedias to Mrs. Walter Murphy who sent in that question. 
Uh, isn't there anybody in this court who can say one nice word about me? Mr. Burns, if you'll allow a sound man. Well, with pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, opposing counsel and your honor. Well, now you'll hear some stuff. You cannot try Mr. Burns as you would an ordinary layman. Actors are different from most people, and therefore they cannot be adjudged by the same standards. And what makes you think Mr. Burns is an actor? Your Honor, every performer has something that endears him to the public. Oh, he wouldn't know that, you see. Eddie Cantor makes people laugh with his pop eyes. I've got some stuff, too. Charlie Chaplin gets laughs with his wistful look. That's right. Fred Allen gets laughs with his nasal twang. And what does Mr. Burns have that makes people laugh? Gracie Allen. This is fine. If I had my... Silence! Oh. Gentlemen of the jury, you have heard all the evidence. All the evidence? I object, Your Honor. I have something to say that will prove my complete innocence. And any... Out of order! Silence! Gentlemen of the jury, you have heard all the evidence in this case. I want you to go to the jury room now and weigh each bit of testimony very, very carefully and come back with an impartial verdict of guilty. (laughs) Help! I'm being framed! Thanks, Judge. Oh, that's all right, Mrs. Strongbass. I'll see you again tonight. Oh, just a minute, just a minute. Now, before this thing goes too far, I want to warn Elsie Trellifash right now that if she doesn't drop this lawsuit against George Burns, I'll tell all about her being out with Johnny Hyde. Oh, no, no, not that. I'll drop the suit and pay all the costs, but please, please don't tell them about Johnny Hyde. You, my client, you knew Johnny Hyde? She knew Johnny Hyde? She knew Johnny Hyde. She was out with Johnny Hyde. Johnny Hyde? She knew Johnny Hyde? She knew Johnny Hyde? Johnny Hyde? Johnny Hyde? Johnny Hyde! Hyde. George Burns acquitted! Simply marvelous. You saved me $200,000, and I certainly appreciate it. But there's one thing I'd like to know. What's that? Who's Johnny Hyde? Who's Johnny Hyde? Yes. Who's Johnny Hyde? Who's Johnny Hyde? Well, who is he? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Remember, mothers, school starts tomorrow, as if you didn't know, and you're going to have to have a lot of ideas for lunches. Why not let Spam do the work? Youngsters love this delicious meat, and you can bet your life Spam will satisfy husky appetite. You'll like the way Spam saves kitchen time, too. It keeps without refrigeration. It's all ready to eat as soon as you open the Spam can. In lunch boxes or on the table at noon, Spam is wholesome, nourishing food for school youngsters. Ask for Spam, S-P-A-M, when you shop tomorrow and try the easy recipes on the label. Well, thanks, bud. Well, Gracie, say goodnight. Goodnight. Well, come on, I'll take you home. Oh, George, I can't. I've just had a summons. A summons? Oh, Gracie. Coming, Judgey Wudgey. I'll be right there. Good night, George. Good night, folks. <laughs> Lesson 
again next Monday night, same time, same station, for George Burns and Gracie Allen, with Artie Shaw and his orchestra and the Smoothie, brought to you by Hormel and Spam. Until then, this is Bud Easton reminding you to remember that cold or hot, Spam hits the spot. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nick Carter, Master Detective, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.